I could walk to the church. And the good part, uh, good part about where our Catholic church was located back in Highland Park, Michigan, was right across from a playing field, ball field. And so I would pretend like I'd go to church, and I'd go into the park and play until the bells rang and go home. Of course, I came home looking all dirty and everything. I think my folks knew better. They just didn't say anything. But my dad hardly ever, if I don't remember hardly us going to church, but I remember my dad used to make this statement. He would say it all the time. I never would. Repri- I would always want to re- reply back to him, but he would always say, I'm not going to church. All they want is my... That's it. He used to say that all the time. Now, you have to know my father. My father would give... My dad was the most gracious man in our, our neighborhood and with all of our friends. We were Croatian people. We belonged to this group of people, all Croatians. And anybody that needed anything, my father would help. And my mother always seemed to have food enough in the refrigerator no matter who came over, we would feed. So it wasn't a matter that my dad was cheap. He just didn't want to give money to the church. Didn't feel like the pastor deserved it. Let him get a job like everybody else. (laughs) So I'm my father's son in that respect. And and talking about giving is not not a comfortable thing for me. I learned a great lesson when I got married. I got married uh, a year, a half a year before I married. I accepted Christ. I had dated, I dated Kay for a while. Um, then I accepted the Lord and and fell in love with her. Really fell in love with her, and we married six months later. And 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 taking care of the household, I, I thought I was supposed to do that because my father did. I took care of all the finances and everything. We were losing stuff all over the place. It was going terrible. And one day, as the head of the household, I went to her and made a decision. You're in charge of the finances. It was the smartest thing I ever did. And she felt like it was too. And what she wanted to do immediately was give unto the Lord. That was one of the first things she wanted to do as our household. And that was hard on me. I didn't want to do that. I am my father's son, after all. And so, at first, I I didn't want to give as, as she wanted to give. And I was always trying to pull the reins back and she always wanted to run free and, and just honor the Lord with our finances. Um, over, the, over the years that we've been married, uh, I've, I've watched and I've observed how, how God has blessed us. I, 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 I cannot remember either one of our kids ever getting a cavity. I mean, come on, we had candy all the time. Ice cream, I don't remember our kids having a cavity. I don't remember, remember for sure they didn't have braces. Um, I don't remember going to the doctors hardly at all for any particular reason, except one time Cassie fell out of the bleachers before she was going to play in a tennis tournament. And like the typical dad, I said, suck it up. It's all that bad. It's not. It's just a bruise. You'll be all right. She had a broken arm, not too smart of a dad. So we did have to take her to get that fixed. But all in all, God, <laughs> all in all, God has really blessed us and blessed us mightily. And that's kind of the whole, the whole idea of the whole picture of Christianity. We have been learning in the book of Romans. If you want to, you can turn ahead. We're in, we're in the 15th chapter of Romans. So uh, we've been learning for the most part, the, the bulk of this book was about salvation. The bulk of this book is about faith. Faith that comes by grace and grace alone, not by works, not by you and I can't earn our salvation. We come to Christ by faith and faith alone. Paul has pounded that upon us in the book of Romans. Soon thereafter, as soon as he got through with that premise, he then started a new kind of a thought process in Romans chapter 12, saying, now, because you have received from the Lord, we are to give back to Him. And he says, we are to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice 
unto the Lord, which is our spiritual service of worship. So that's a part and parcel of, of what we are. And that means by your gifts, your talent, your treasure, we are to give back unto the Lord a portion of what he has given to us. And Paul is going to teach today two very, very important lessons. And that is harmony within the body of Christ and the blessings we get when we serve the Lord in, through giving of our finances. And now, here's what I want you to know. I'm going to say it a few times during this message because, again, this intimidates me to speak about this. But nobody wants your money here. Nobody wants your money here. Um, there's not a certain amount you ought to give. People think that we're supposed to give 10%. That's a a tithe. That's not how much you give unto the Lord. You give unto the Lord what you can willingly give to Him. And you ought not to give a penny more. You ought to not give anything more than what you can, in your own conscience, give unto the Lord. And you ought to give that with a wonderful, happy heart. But uh, the amount is not critical. But I, I know that God wants to bless you farther more, more abundantly than you've ever dreamt or, or ever can dream of. Um, I can only give you as an example myself what I just explained. Now, in, in our marriage, Kay and I, we, we talk about how much money we're going to give to the Lord the start of every year. Like at the end of the year, just before Christmas, we'll sit down together and we'll look at our financial picture and we'll say, this is how much money we want to give unto the Lord this year. And we will give monthly. We will, we will write a check. In fact, we don't even write a check. It just automatically goes out of, uh, uh, I guess, I don't know everything. I don't know. I, I don't deal with our finances. But it automatically goes out and it, it goes to the Lord. And when, <laughs> when, we first, uh, when we first were married, she would say, let's give this much. And I'd say, no, not that much. Let's, let's, give, let's think it through, you know. We can always give more later. <laughs> <laughs> you heard that one. Huh? Okay, so, so uh, and, and over the years, watching how God has blessed us, I can honestly say to you, when we gather together now, I'm actually one of the, I'm one of the two of us that said, let's, let's consider giving, I can almost not say the word more, but I can say it now. Let's give more. As a matter of fact, I've gotten to a place in my life as a believer in Jesus Christ that I would be utterly fearful not to give unto the Lord as much as I possibly can. And we have, by the grace of God, given more and more and more a percentage of, of, of what, what the Lord God has blessed us with. Um, I can give you as an example another person that I absolutely adored. He was a, he was a major part of my life when I first became a pastor. Uh, some of you will know of him. Most of you will not. I, I, believe, them, I believe Mickey and Sherry will remember very well Frank and, and Louise Marshburn. Do you remember them? Uh, probably, uh, oh yes, of course you would. Uh, and some of the others that, that used to go to that church uh, would, would remember him. One of the dearest men that I've ever, ever known. He has planted more churches all over this world than most people ever dreamed about doing. And he would always, he would just do it under the, the twilight of, uh, of silence. He would just make sure that there was churches being planted all over the place. Frank and, and his family, his, his brothers, owned what was called Marshburn Farm. Help me on this story if I've, I kind of mess it up. Most of it I know is true because I heard it from Frank's own mouth. But the, the last part, I'm not 100% certain, although Denny Arnold said what I said was true, absolutely true. So they gave unto the Lord 10%. And most people think that's what you should give. It's not. 
So they would give 10%, but every year they, they, they gathered together as brothers and they were being so successful. They started giving more, and then they would give more. And they got to a place where they were giving near the end of their time as that owning that farm, 90%, they gave to the Lord, 10% they kept. They felt that was much better representation of when they first started because God deserved their best. When they were going to sell their company, this is the part that I wasn't 100% certain of, although Aunt Denny said this is true. When they went to send, sell their business, a company looked at it and said, you've got to be kidding. These people are giving 90% of their money away. We can make so much money here, it would be ridiculous. And they bought the farm from them. They bought the, their property. And, they, and, and in two years, that company went under because it stopped producing. This makes you want to cry. It stopped producing the product. It wasn't Frank and their brothers that was making that stuff grow. It was God. And they had to leave. That, that The other company lost all sorts of money on it. Um, Frank had always told me you could not live, give the Lord. He says, I've been, there's a, one of his favorite verses. I, I won't quote it perfectly. He says, but I've been old and now, I've been young and now I'm old. And I've never seen God's people go hungry a wonderful verse out of uh, Psalms or Proverbs. I'll have to look it up. I meant to look it up last night, but my wife's gone to visit her sister in Oregon and there's no telling what goes on in my house now. <laughs> it's, it's like a it's, it's not uh, it's not, not good. Anyways, <laughs> I told her she shouldn't leave me alone. <laughs> Anyways, um, I want to talk to you about that, but first things first, what I want to talk to you about is a uh, uh, something that came up last week when we preached and, uh, or, or a week or two ago and someone had a little problem with. If you turn w to Romans chapter 15 with me, I want you to see it. I hope I, made a, uh, I, hope I laid some sort of a foundation for giving. Um, I, I, I don't want to be flippant about it, but I want you to recognize and realize that, that uh, oh, I know I didn't say this, and that, that is this. I said last night at Saturday and I said this morning at the first service, 9 o'clock service, our, our church is not in need of money right now. You guys have been more than faithful giving. Now, I know most pastors would never utter that for fear that people will back off. But the truth of the matter is you people are, uh, give graciously here. And our church is doing fine. But what I want us to do is what the Lord would want for us to do. And I'm going to try to explain it as we go through the message. But this is, not a, this is not a thing about more money so we can build more. This is a, uh, this is a, a message about blessings that God wants to pour out upon yours and my life. And the only reason I shared with you the first part was to just be delayed the testimony that I know, I know what I'm talking to you about is true. I, I can't tell you to what degree it will be true in your life, but I know it was true in my life. I know it. So before we go on that journey, though, I want to explain the problem that we some had had. Not, not many, but enough that I didn't do a good job on teaching about signs and wonders. I want to do that. In, in verses 18 and 19, Paul writes these words, I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Don't you love Paul? I mean, what a great statement. Resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. In, note, verse 19, the power of signs and wonders and in the power of the Spirit. So that from Jerusalem and round about as far as, oh, there come, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Now, Signs and wonders. What about it today? What about miracles, signs and wonders that God is, is, is doing in our land today? What is the difference between then 
when the apostles were walking this earth uh, and, and, and now? Well, there's a major difference. Uh, I will show it to you in a moment. The day came in the life of the apostles where signs and wonders, miracles, were no longer the identifying mark of an apostle. When an apostle went into a community, they did not have the word of God. They didn't have this to verify, thus saith the Lord. They had to say, thus saith the Lord, without this. And so to verify that they were speaking from God, they would, they would perform miracle after miracle. And, and signs and wonders would happen through them so that when they spoke, people would say, they're speaking from God. Well, a day came in the life of the apostles when it was no longer a criteria for the acceptance of their authority that, that miracles happened, but rather that they now had something different to show to the people to say, thus saith the Lord. And so signs and wonders, which, which, which once gave someone authority to speak on behalf of God, is no longer valid in yours and my day. It, it stopped at the end of the age of the apostles. And in 2 John, there's only one chapter in 2 John. 2 John, 2 John chapter, verse 10. Please forgive me. Let me slow down. 2 John, verse 10. The apostle John near the end of his long and glorious life, said this word, If anyone comes to you and does not bring... Now, when I read something like that, I like to read it slowly. If I am studying through it, I like to get to a place and say, doesn't bring what? I don't want to read ahead. I want to think it through. John says, if someone comes to you, John, or someone comes to you, and does not bring what? He said, this teaching... In other words, doesn't bring the gospel of Jesus Christ. You'll note, he doesn't say, doesn't bring miracles and wonders so as to verify what they are going to say to you. He says, if they do not bring this teaching, then therefore, he says, don't receive them into your homes. Do not give them even a greeting. Now that sounds harsh. But the criteria for acceptance of authority was no longer signs and wonders. Rather, it was correct doctrine. The teaching of God's Word was, was, was critical. It was important. And it is to this day. It's not changed. Today, the identifying mark of thus saith the Lord comes from the Word of God. This is what gives us credence over what God wants us say to you and me. It's not a, a church or it's not a denomination. It's not a religious uh, experience. It is the Word of God that speaks to you and thus saith the Lord. That's why we want you to learn that here. We want you to learn this here in, the, in this congregation so that, that you will not be duped by someone who says thus saith the Lord and it's not the truth. And so if someone, anyone would come to you and be able to flip in the air a few times and land on their feet. And yet they do not bring correct doctrine or the teaching of the apostles. Then John says, don't receive them. Don't give them even a greeting. In Acts chapter 2, when the church started in Jerusalem, Peter taught, and he taught them this, the, that the, the believers were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings. It wasn't signs and wonders anymore. And so that is what 
basically our criteria for truth is today. Signs and wonders are over with. Which begs the question, and you must ask it, does God still do miracles? Resoundingly, yes. Yes. Miracle after miracle after miracle. But for any of us who have ever prayed for a miracle, and we've noted that He doesn't, he doesn't answer affirmatively every single time. We were praying for Odette and Chris Fuller's granddaughter, Giselle, is that the way we pronounce it? Giselle. And she was doing okay in the knot, and then finally God took her home to be with him. We would have loved for any miracle to have taken place. It would have been that one. They were two godly parents, godly grandparents, godly people. I met the great-grandmother last night. She was with her daughter, Odette. And yet God did not answer that. Any and all of us who know and we pray, we've seen that God does not every time today perform a miracle as He once did through the apostles. But miracles happen. Miracles happen. We have seen them in this church time and time and time again. It's just that we cannot assert that God will answer affirmative every time for everything we pray for. And we, be, we need to be at peace with that as believers. So hopefully that answers the question about signs and wonders and miracles and does God still perform miracles? You see, God expects you and me to pray every time as if He was going to answer us yes. But we are to also accept anything that He says, whether it be wait, later, or no. We are to accept that as well. So enough said, I hope, about that. Uh, yes, he does miracles. Uh, signs and wonders, nah, not so much. This is, this is thus saith the Lord. We have it all here in our hands. So let's go now. Let's talk about the, the whole idea of uh, what Paul's purpose is on going to Jerusalem. I mean, have you even wondered? You should have. Let me read with you, please, verses 24 through 27 of chapter 15 of Romans. Read with me. Verse 24. Whenever I go to Spain, he says, I hope to see you talking to those in Rome in passing and to be helped on my way there by you when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. But now I'm going to go to Jerusalem serving the saints. For Macedonia and Acacia have been pleased to make contribution to the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Verse 27 is critical. It's critical to understand. What Paul is saying is, if you've reaped the benefit of spiritual things, you also are indebted to the people who brought you spiritual things to give material things as well. You are to give as much as you have received. So let's pray, and let's see what God has to say with this. And I, I pray that this will, will really bless you. I want you to know that. I'm not asking for your money. I'm not. I want to be obedient to what the Bible talks about as far as you and me being blessed by God, by our finances. Now, Father, please, 
move me aside. If, if ever I prayed for that, today it is. Would you open up our eyes so that we might behold most amazing things from your law? And Father, I just, I'm nervous about this. You know it. Um, I just pray that it goes uh, as you would so desire. And that not my, uh, not my desires be said uh, really this time at all. As much as they are my desires, Father, I want to empty myself as much as I can in this message. I want us to hear from you. If at all possible, dear Father, please allow us to hear your still, quiet voice within our heart of hearts. I pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. All right, let's start from the beginning of this particular incident. It's very interesting if you've noted that Paul so longed to go to Rome. As a matter of fact, in, in verse 23, the last part of it, he said, not that he desired to go to Rome for a little while. He said, for many years I have longed to come to you, to come to Rome. But in verse 25, as we just read a moment ago, we see him head out some 1,000 miles in the opposite direction towards Jerusalem. What is he going to do in Jerusalem? Why, why does he now abandon the thought of going to Rome and he heads out thousand miles in the other direction towards Jerusalem? The answer is, we just read, he wanted to help support the church in Jerusalem. Paul's taking a journey to Jerusalem seems to contradict what he taught about not preaching the gospel if, in fact, he was going to Jerusalem to preach the gospel. Because in Jerusalem, the name of Christ has already been named. And Paul said in verse 20 of this particular 15th chapter, I aspire to preach the gospel not where Christ has been already named, so as not to build upon another person's foundation. And the church that was born in Jerusalem by Peter at the day of Pentecost was like no other city in the first century. It had more direct uh, ministry by the apostles than any other church in that time. And at the time that Paul wrote this letter, which was right, right around 58 A.D., right around 58 A.D., 58 years after the death of Christ, the church now in Jerusalem was suffering. Jerusalem as a whole was suffering. Jerusalem was in a great, great poverty. And the church was going through a great deal of persecution. And so in verses 25 to 27, history tells you and me that Paul asked, asked the apostles if he could come to Jerusalem with an offering. And he was going to stop on the way in Macedonia and in Acacia to gather money from the churches there, mainly Gentile churches, and take that money and give it to the people in Jerusalem that were going through a, a difficult time. As a matter of fact, I'm going to ask you to turn a few places today in Scripture, if you don't mind. Hold, you can hold your place here. Turn to Galatians, to the right. Galatians comes after Second uh, Corinthians and then comes Galatians. I want you to take a look at Galatians chapter 2 for a moment. While you're finding that, listen. Paul, in Galatians 2, tells of his journey on the way to Jerusalem. And it tells that he asked Peter, James, Peter being Cephas, James and John and the church there in Galatia to help him financially to take the money to Jerusalem. Look at Galatians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Look. 
recognizing the grace that had been given to me, Paul is speaking, from James and Cephas, Cephas who is Peter, and John, who were reputed to be the pillars of that church. They gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. In other words, they welcomed them wholeheartedly so that we might go to the Gentiles and they might go to the circumcised. In other words, the Jews. Just as Paul's calling, he was to go to the Gentiles, they were to go to the Jews. The only thing they ask in verse 10, they just ask Paul one thing. They wanted Paul to remember the poor. The very thing he was eager to do. So he goes there to ask for money. They just say, remember the poor, Paul. Remember the poor. Which he says, I'm very eager to do. That's why I'm going to Jerusalem. In 1 Corinthians 16.1, Paul said concerning the collection of the saints as he went to a church in Galatia, he says, I want you to do like they did in the other church. I want you to give as they offered to give. Now I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians. Really, really. Just as important a verse as you'll ever read. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul rejoices at the generosity of the church of Macedonia. This is on his way to Jerusalem. Listen to the people in Macedonia. Listen to what Paul came across when he went to that church. It's amazing. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2. Paul says that in a great ordeal of affliction. In other words, this church in Macedonia is under some affliction. A great deal, he says. Their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. In other words, they were overjoyed. Abundance of joy in their deep poverty to help liberally the church that Paul was going to take the money to. Look at verse 3. For I testify, Paul is testifying to this church, that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. You might want to mark that down. Nobody forced them to give. Forcing you and me to give in the New Testament is not a part of what it teaches. You are to give from your own heart and not a penny more than you feel comfortable giving. So they gave according to their own accord. Now, verse 4 will blow you away. They begged us. They begged us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. I mean, that is one of the most amazing verses you'll ever read. Do you hear that? They begged Paul and Barnabas. They urged Paul and Barnabas for the favor of participating in the support of the saints who are in Jerusalem. There are two reasons for giving. There are more, but basically two hardcore reasons for giving. And Paul addresses them. Number one, during this period of time, there was still a lot of animosity and distrust among the Jewish and Gentile believers that were in Jerusalem. They were still having trouble with one another. There was animosity. Thus, this contribution that Paul brought to them from the Gentile churches, Gentile churches, he gave to the church at, um, who, by the way, Macedonia and Acacia, who were, who were very poor as well, 
was a powerful gesture of these Gentile folks of their love and their reconciliation towards the impoverished saints of Jerusalem who were primarily Jewish people. And so what their giving did was to bring harmony to the body of Christ between Jew and Gentile. So number one, giving. Not just your finances. Giving of your talent. Giving of your spiritual gift. It brings harmony to the body of Christ. Look, I'm here every week, pretty much. And I see what goes on. On Saturday evening, there's a good portion of people that come to the Saturday evening service to worship the Lord. But I see them here on, on Sunday morning serving God. They, they go to church on Saturday, and then they come here and either work in the kitchen or work at the doors or do something here with the kids or whatever, and they give of their time, they give of their talent, they give of their spiritual gift to help the body of Christ. That, folks, brings harmony. That brings harmony. You ought to come every once in a while. Just haphazardly, don't always have to come on Saturday, but come and see some of them that you see also on Sunday morning working. Serving the Lord brings harmony to the body of Christ. There ought to be none of us here that don't get involved somewhere, somehow, some way. You don't have to do a lot. You probably don't have all the time to do a lot. But for those that do, recognize what great harmony they bring to us, that they do so much to serve God. And they need help, just like any of us would need help. Harmony. Giving of... Money, talent, spiritual gift brings harmony to the body of Christ. Secondly, most important to me, for you. Paul knew this and he taught it. That giving as these churches did only brought blessings into their lives. And I want to prove that to you. Not by my word, not by my testimony, by the word of God. So, I think from now on, you don't even need to, we don't even need to turn back to... Uh, Romans 15. No, we're just going to jump around to a few places. I want you to see. Would you turn first with me to Matthew chapter 16? Nope, 6. Matthew chapter 6, please. Matthew, of course, from Romans is to the left. It's the first book in the New Testament. Our Lord is teaching a lesson, talking about blessings, but He calls it rewards. Watch. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Beware, he says, of practicing your righteousness before men so as to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have received no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So obviously, there is a reward going. But if you're seeking others to, to, to compliment you and you're doing it for the wrong motive, you, if they compliment you, then you get your reward. You, do, you don't want that. Look at verse 2. So that when you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues or in the streets, so that they may be honored by man. Truly I say to you, he says, they have their reward in full. In other words, there is a reward coming, but they've lost it because they were prideful. They wanted to get their rewards from mankind. No, he says in verse 3, but you, when you give to the poor or give, period, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In other words, do it in secret. That's basically what that's saying. So that your giving will be in secret. Now watch. And your Father, 
who sees what is done in secret will what? He will reward you. In other words, your blessing will come from the Father. I want you to hold that in your heart. The Father will bless you as you do kind things in secret. In 1 Corinthians, you can turn now to, um, well, actually, listen real closely, but turn to Chronicles. Can you find it? Chronicles, if you go to the middle of the Old Testament, there is the book of, uh, it's the biggest book, is the book of Psalms. Chronicles is still to the left. So if you go from the book of Psalms, uh, you'll go past uh, Job and, and Esther and Nehemiah and then slow down because after Ezra, Ezra I should say, comes second. But I want you to go to First Chronicles chapter 29. It'll, it'll bless you beyond your wildest dream. This place in Scripture is one of my favorite, favorite places. It's about King David. But Paul says this. Listen for a moment. In 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, he says in the second verse, on the first day of every week, talking about giving, collection, making a collection for the churches, on the first day of every week, let each one of you, let each one of you put aside and save as they are prospered. In other words, there is no one of us that ought not to be giving unto the Lord. There isn't a one of us that ought to not to be sharing somehow financially back unto the Lord. Now, some of you are hurting. We're in a difficult time in this United States of America. People have lost their job. One of the reasons why I would love to see us as a church give financially as we should give is so that we can have money here that not a person that ever goes to this church and loses their job goes hungry. Not one. And not a person here who loses their job and loses their home will ever have to go without putting their head on a pillow at night that we can help supply and put, this, put our people back on their feet. That's one of the things that will bring harmony to the body of Christ. So, concerning the collection for the saints, on the first day of every week, let each of you put aside and save as you are prospered. As I've said to you, my wife and I don't give weekly. We give monthly. And we give in a check. And it's taken, I think, right out of our bank account and goes right into the church. At least that's the way I've been told. And I think that's the way that goes. We give as the Lord has prospered us or as we can willingly give. Now, King David, First Chronicles, chapter 29. Read this with me. Verse 3. David says, In my delight... Oh, man, hold on to some of these words. Listen to what David's saying. In my delight in the house of my God, the treasure I have of gold and silver I give to the house of my God. Over and above, he says, all that I have already provided for the holy temple. Now I want you to jump to the end of verse 5 because all verse 4 and most of verse 5 is tells us how much he gave as far as gold and silver and all. Then David asks in verse 5, right near the end, who then is willing? Who is willing to consecrate themselves this day unto the Lord? Verse 6, the rulers of the father's household, the princes of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and hundreds, and the overseers of the king's work. In other words, the leadership of all of Israel. You have to know right now, David is speaking to the whole group of, of people in Israel. He is speaking to them all. And so the rulers, the princes, 
the commanders and the overseers, they are willingly giving. They did. They offered, it says at the end of verse 6, they offered willingly. Now, jump to verse 9. Just tell us in verses 7 and 8 what they gave. Verse 9. Then, not only did the rulers, the princes, the commanders, and the overseers give, then the people rejoiced because they had offered so willingly. They made their offering to the Lord with a whole heart. And King David rejoiced with them greatly. And with that, King David now starts to pray. He, uh, he actually humbles himself before the people and he prays to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And listen, li- listen to this prayer. And out of this prayer, you're going to learn something that I think will never leave you. You're going to learn about the whole idea of the cycle of giving. Giving comes from God. God begins the process from His heaven. And He gives down to you. And what He gives to you, you take a portion, whatever portion thereof you think you can afford, and you give back to Him. And He takes that and gives you more, or gives you whatever He's going to give you. And you take whatever it is that He gives, and you give it back to Him. And it was like the Marshburns, where they gave 10%, then 20 30, 40, where it built up that they were given 90%. I'm not asking for 90% of your money. I'm just saying how God works that whole process. So listen to David's prayer, starting with verse 10. David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Verse 11, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory, and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, you are dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches, verse 12, both riches and honor come from you. Oh, there's the start of the cycle of giving. Riches and honor, dear Lord, come from you. And you rule over all. In your hand is the power and the might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Therefore, our God, we thank you and we praise your glorious name. Verse 14 is one of the great verses in all of Scripture. David, like Paul, says, And who am I? And who are your people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? For all things come from you. Aha! Uh-huh. Start of the cycle of giving. And from your hand, we have given back to you. And so there it is. In a nutshell, look at verse 15. We are just sojourners before you and tenants. In other words, we're just passing through this place called earth. We're going to our home, which is in heaven. As all of our fathers were. Our days on this earth are like a shadow. There is no hope. That doesn't mean that I have no hope. It means without Him, there is no hope. Verse 16, O Lord our God, here it comes again. All this abundance that we have provided to build you a house for your holy name, it is from your hand and it is all yours. And so is the whole idea of the cycle of giving. I want to close with this place in Scripture. It's right, the, the last book in the Old Testament, it's the book just before Matthew and the New. It is called the book of Malachi. Would you please turn there, please? This is where I told you at first, there is a, there is, a, a, there is a harmony that comes through giving. There is a, a healing that comes through giving. There is a, 
a, a building up of the body of Christ that comes through giving. There are things that we can do that, that, that we cannot do apart from finances. There are missionaries that we can support. There are people that we can help support. There is more that we can do in this community in which we live through the whole idea of finances. And so I want to close with this lesson on blessings. What comes after harmony are the blessings of God. Malachi says in verse 8 of chapter 3, look at it. The question is asked, will a person rob God? It's an unusual statement. Yet it says, you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? What have we done to rob you, God? And the Lord God answers, clearly, no stuttering. In your tithe and in your offering. Therefore, he says in verse 9, a pretty hard statement. You are cursed with a curse. For you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. In other words, God is saying, it is important that you give so that I can bless you. If you do not give back to me, you are robbing me of what is rightfully mine. And therefore, I am going to place a curse on you. How can we stay away from the curse? Verse 10. You might want to underline it. God says, bring the whole tithe into my storehouse so there may be food in my house. Today, the storehouse, the house is the church, the, the, the congregation of us as believers. We are a part of this storehouse that the Lord has here on this little hill here in Anaheim Hills. Therefore, he says, bring the whole tithe into my storehouse so there may be food in my house. And then he says, test me. Test me in this, says the Lord God of hosts. Test me to see, the end of verse 10, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you blessings till they overflow. I want that for you more than you'll ever know. I want that for our church more than you'll ever know. I want us to be a church that is blessed beyond your wildest dreams. Nobody here is asking you for your money. I'm not. Certainly I'm not. I'm not asking you for a certain amount. I'm not asking you for any of that. I don't think a, 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 a tenth is what normally people think a tithe is. We're not supposed to give a tenth. We're to give what we can willfully give unto the Lord with a, with a, with a, a willing heart. And if that's less than 10%, so be it. If it's more than 10%, so be it. It's between you and God. Do it in secret. But give unto the Lord. I want to say something before I close. I am not asking for your money. And for goodness sakes, the Lord God's not asking for your money. Uh, he, he doesn't need your money, nor mine. He just wants to give you a blessing. He doesn't want to go after your hard-earned dollars. He has all the cattle on all the hills. Doesn't need it. But what I care about for you is the same thing I believe our Lord cares about for us. And that's our obedience and doing what is right before the Lord so that He may bless us and pour out upon us blessings until they overflow. That's what I believe the Lord wants. After the first service, one of the gentlemen came up to me and said, what you ought to do now is have a second offering. <laughs> I said... How would that defeat my purpose? 
Um, I just want you to go home and pray. Pray about what you want to do unto the Lord. I, I would get with my husband and or wife. I would, uh, I would talk with uh, someone close to me, and I would consider not what I'm going to give, but, you know, like out of my pocket every week. <laughs> oh, that's, well, by golly, I can't help you this week, Lord. I'm dead broke. No. No, I don't want to do that. I don't think a person should come to church and reach down and try to find a five or a ten or something and put it in the, in the offering plate and say, that's it. No, I think what you ought to do is go home. Consider, what is it you, you presumably will make this year? And how much of that percentage can you give unto the Lord with a willing heart, obediently unto the Lord? And then in secret, give. And no one needs to know. No one needs to know. Um, I just am, I'm just... I guess I've just been taught well enough by my wife to know that the blessings will pour. And, she, and, they, will, and they will come your way. And I, I want that for you more than you'll ever know. I have never been with a group of people that I love more than you. And it's getting me, it's scaring me. I'm loving you more every doggone day. It's just going, it's, it's, it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing to be a part of a church that you love. First service, uh, Kathy and Doug Renault were away for a while, and they, 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 they literally couldn't wait to come back to be with the, the people of our church, to rub elbows with all of everybody. I want you to feel that same love and that same compassion for us here. So thank you all for, for listening. Uh, I won't give a, we're not going to have a fundraising or anything like that. I'm not going to ask for more money. Uh, not that I asked for it today. Um, the only time I'll talk about money is when it comes up in Scripture. And I won't duck and hide. I'll do my best to try to, to, do, to uh, present it as clearly as possible. But if any of you walk out of here thinking, well, he's asking for our money, then you've missed it. And I did a terrible job of sharing the gospel to you today. I'm not asking for your money. I'm not asking for your money. I'm not asking for your money. I'm just, I'm just desirous for you and me to be blessed by God. That's what I want. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you so much for the people of this church. I love them so, so much. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen.